Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. It worries me if somebody says to catch up growth, you need to start solids. A growth centile is not there to tell you off. A growth centile is just there to say for your individual child, where are you? And I'm going to follow you there. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Hey guys, welcome back. Today's episode, we're talking about a frequently asked question I get from parents a lot, which is, I was instructed by my pediatrician to start solids early to help with catch-up weight. And my response is always, that's an asinine recommendation because babies who don't know how to eat can't possibly use food to help them gain weight. But rather than just giving that quick answer, I wanted to invite an expert in this area. Pediatric dietitian Roseanne Meyer is here today to talk about why starting solids early will not help your baby with catch-up weight. Now, Roseanne's bio is incredibly impressive. She has a PhD. She's a pediatric dietitian. We did the interview from France, where she currently lives, but she did her training in London in the UK. She has a pediatric practice specializing in food allergy, feeding difficulties, nutrition support, and growth faltering. And she has a number of academic appointments as well. So she publishes articles on topics like pediatric nutrition and allergies, that she talks about the association between growth and food allergy. So she's one of those unique people who's not only working in research and academia, but also working directly with parents like you and me every day. She is the chair of the European section of the International Network for Diet and Allergy. She sits on like every single board, fluent in German, fluent in English, Afrikaans, speaks French, works with children's birth to 16 years old, but today is here to talk about why starting solids early is not going to help your baby gain weight or have their catch-up weight. This is Roseanne Meyer, pediatric dietitian. Well, hello, Roseanne. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Katie. I am so excited for the opportunity to interview. I have so many questions, but before we get started, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, what you do, and how you got to where you are at today? Absolutely, Katie. I have a bit of a mix of a background. I'm not sure if you can understand from my accent, but I'm originally from South Africa. I moved over to the UK in 1996. And uh, since then, I now live part-time in France, still practice in the UK. I uh, specialized in pediatrics in the UK, did my 
MSc as well as my PhD, all of it in pediatrics. And my research area is very much, though I do gastro and I do allergy, but it's very much around nutritional status. So growth, how growth interacts with vitamins and minerals, feeding difficulties, because all of that interacts. So it's an area that I find fascinating. And it's an area I can see the challenge for healthcare professionals, but in particular for parents as well. And what do you do in your day-to-day practice? I know you are doing a virtual practice at this point in pediatric nutrition. Absolutely. So I specialize, as I said before, feeding difficulties, gastroenterology, food allergy, and growth faltering is really my speciality. So I really straddle the area of when parents come to me and saying, my child is not growing well, or when a doctor refers to a child that's not growing well, to help make science or a diagnosis more real and provide parents with advice of how to rectify that. And you mentioned the term growth faltering. So from a terminology standpoint, could you set us straight on, and I know it's kind of a loaded question, growth faltering, failure to thrive, catch up weight. These terms get thrown around so much, oftentimes in the lay community as well. And I think it's important for parents to understand that they really do have clinical underlying diagnostic criteria. Great question. So I'm going to start with growth faltering and failure to thrive. Growth faltering and failure to thrive are interchangeable. What you'll see is that within Europe, we use more growth faltering. In the US, it's more failure to thrive. And the reason we've moved away from failure to thrive within Europe, and in particular in the UK, is that failure to thrive implies that there's a failure from a parenting perspective. And we felt that that terminology, failure, is not a positive terminology. So we've really switched away from using uh, failure to thrive to growth faltering, but actually they are interchangeable. Growth faltering or failure to thrive, I always explain to parents, is the journey downwards. Okay, so that means you have your growth charts and your pediatrician or your dietitian is supposed to, as you, your child grows, track you on your growth charts. And the crossing downwards in terms of centiles is when you have growth faltering. Now, this is where it comes because in the US, you have slightly different growth charts than what you have in the UK. So some work work with Z scores, some work with standard deviations, some work with centile drops. So generally, a growth faltering or failure to thrive is seen over at least a month period of time, at least a two centile drops. And the reason I'm saying over a period of time, you can have a child today that for five days has diarrhea, loses half a pound or more than a pound. And that would not be seen as gross faltering because we know once they start eating. So it needs to be over time. Conversely, malnutrition actually is very well defined by the World Health Organization. So whilst faltering growth is the journey downwards, malnutrition is, I am already down. Okay, so I'm already down at a cutoff. The WHO is very clear, and that's based on Z scores with the WHO growth charts at below minus two standard deviation or Z-score, weight for age, weight for height, and height for age. So you do not use the term malnutrition unless you've reached that point. Just dropping centers, that's faltering growth or failure to thrive. And so parents, like the term catch-up growth, I know that's also a very, not controversial term, but it is a term that gets misused. Pediatricians will tell parents, oh, your baby needs to start solids early for catch-up weight. And that puts a lot of pressure on parents that think something is wrong with their child and then they should be using food to fix it. How should we respond when parents are given that instruction? And also, loaded question, but what is catch-up weight? Yes, Katie, what an amazing question to ask. Catch-up growth, in order to understand that, you actually have to understand what does normal growth 
for that individual child. Okay, so first of all, is that you have normal growth and normal growth. And I always say this to parents, every child will drop over the course of the first two, three years of life. They will have periods where their weight or their length drops. That is actually normal. Although a center line looks very smooth, when you look at the raw data, you will see kind of goes up and down. So if we are saying that catch up, then you need to say, what do you catch up to? So what is normal for that child? Now, a lot of parents say to me, but what is normal for that child? You cannot make an assessment of what is normal based on weight only. You have to take length, and length is done up to two years of age, and then it's height, and head circumference as well. So if you've got a child, for example, that is, I'm going to use the 50th centile because I know the US, you've got a 50th centile as well, and they've dropped one centile. And you've said to me, but Roseanne, this child has always been one centile lower in terms of length. Then I'm going to say to you, Katie, well, you do not need to catch up because actually you're now matching exactly where the height is at the moment. So the term catch up needs to be used correct. The term catch up for the individual child is you catch up to what we're expecting. You need to normally grow. And that's where it becomes quite confusing because For us as healthcare professionals, we had a pre-discussion prior to this podcast we discussed, said to you, I had four hours discussion yesterday academically to say what is catch-up. So you need somebody that really understands the genetics. So I always take the parent's height. I calculate the mid-parental height. You don't look at your individual points. For me as a dietitian, you can't just go, what is your length? What is your weight today? You go and take it from birth. You go and take the length from birth and say, I think this is where you need to be. Okay. And then the next aspect is you don't need to do catch up if you've not got a faltering growth or failure to thrive. If you've come to me and saying, Roseanne, the weight has just dropped slightly, then I would say to you, all we need to do is we monitor you now. Because what I really am concerned about, and I'm sure Katie, you're aware of, is this pressure on catch up and pushing nutrients. And when the child actually does not need it, metabolically, we know that if a child then becomes overweight at an early stage, it actually predisposes them to syndrome X in later life, obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. So my advice to parents is when somebody gives you advice and saying you need to catch up, the question is first going to be, why are you asking me to do this? Show me on the growth chart and tell me where my child needs to be. Because if it's just a centile line drop, then I would say to you, I would rather say, let's monitor and weigh in a month's time, measure in a month's time again, and monitor. Second question is going to be, is it actually appropriate for me to catch up now? Is this just a normal, has my child had a cough or a cold? Because that can actually also uh, explain. So it can be just a natural process. So I am very reluctant to use term catch up unless there's actually faltering growth. And if there's actual faltering growth, then the term catch-up is you catch up to where a child was before, not to higher to where they were before. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. And let's talk about the inherent inaccuracies in measurement. At least I don't know how it is in the UK, but in the United States, the way we obtain height is laughable. They don't use a stadiometer. They push a baby down on the measurement table who's cold, so they're crying. They put a pen underneath the foot. They put a pen line over the head. They measure the distance in between. And if that baby squirms or scrunches up, you're off by an inch or two, which throws parents into like a terrible downward spiral because it looks like the baby is falling off the growth curve. And oftentimes it's just a matter of inaccurate measurement. I always ask parents that, you know, be an advocate for your baby. I am a little bit anal, but I will measure my babies and weigh them before I go to the doctor just so I know what I think the baseline is. Because if they plot wrong data, you look like a failure as the parent, when in fact, it might not even really be a problem. Absolutely. And to be honest, it's actually, Katie's so reassuring to hear that it's not only happening in the UK, but it's happening in the US as well. So if you look at the data from the UK, the length measurements are in fact in primary care so bad that at the moment they are saying, don't do it if you do not know how to do it accurately. And it is for me, of course, as a dietitian, this is the wrong way about going about it. I'm saying yeah. train everybody, not don't say, because you can't interpret a weight unless you've got a length. Because as you, you talk to me about catch-up growth, I have so many children are sent to me that are sent because they are on the highest centiles where if they were measured correctly, they would see that their length is also on the higher centiles. You are 100% correct. So I actually, I have produced a video now during the pandemic for parents to do the measurements accurately at home. And I always say to them, if you've got a measurement, which looks like, oh my gosh, this looks like you've dropped, then I always say, no, we're not going to take this measurement. That could be an outlier. We're going to re-measure. So I don't, if there's a measurement that has just kind of dropped suddenly, I always say to parents, we're going to remeasure. And I always go, if I get a referral, we're saying this child, the length has dropped quite dramatically. I always say the first step is we are remeasuring it. And that is really important for parents. You have to advocate. And I think parents play a crucial role also to help healthcare staff. Katie, you know, you can't take a length measurement by yourself. You have to have two people. So I always say to parents, read a little bit up on length measurements. And I normally give them. I said, until the, when you go and have a measurement done by a healthcare professional saying, I'm here, I can do the foot side or I do the head side and I can, you know, I can twilt the head and all of those. The other problem I really have is that lying down and standing up. I'm sure you've got the same problem. That lying down, often we do it only until one year of age. And then suddenly when they start walking, they need to be standing up. Where in fact, our growth charts up till two, it's supine. And from two, it's standing up. 
So, yes, absolutely. And, you know, if I may say so, we are taking it so seriously. We are now have developed uh, with one of the University of Winchester here a virtual online training course for healthcare professionals only just on gross measurements, nothing else. Wow, that's amazing. Because in the United States, it's the medical assistants who do it in the pediatrician's office who are completely overwhelmed. They do everything from the finger stick to the temperatures to the, I mean, they do it all. And so, you know, oftentimes they're just in such a hurry. I think half the time parents don't even realize what just happened was they just took a length that may be potentially inaccurate. And so I appreciate what you're saying to be an advocate and don't be scared to speak up. I'm sorry, can I please request? I mean, I literally have asked for like three different finger sticks when the hemoglobin comes back low in my kids because I'm like, sorry, I saw the way you did it. Like, you know, not to be disparaging, but if we do have inaccurate measurements, all of the data becomes inaccurate. That becomes a part of your child's medical record. And as a parent to see failure to thrive is like, because we still use that term here, which I agree with you, it, is, it makes you feel awful as a parent, it is totally preventable. So can we speak for a second about premature babies? I know as a mom, I had quadruplets I carried to 34 weeks. They were all born between two and three pounds. So they're six weeks premature. They always tracked at the 10th to 15th percentile and wait for length or wait for age. And even when we started solids, we waited till they were six months adjusted, plus showing the other signs of readiness to feed. But you know, it took one of my quads an additional six weeks. So he was almost nine months chronological age before he really even began eating. And I feel like without a nutrition background, I would have been so stressed about that and thinking, gosh, he's only the 10th percentile. He's not eating. I have other friends with nine-month-old babies that eat like full meals. How do you speak to parents who are concerned about their child's weight because they were premature and are now moving into the era where it's time to start solid foods? Again, uh, a wonderful question. I think, I think the first aspect is when we talked about catch-up and growth, there's actually much more data on premature uh, babies uh, in regards to growth rates. So that, you know, a switched on neonatologists and a dietitian can really help you better from that. But I want to just reset. I, normally, my discussion starts with what is what you want to achieve, because I think often my discussion is around expectations that are not viable, because most parents that have preterm infants, they want their child to be chubby and big like you know, my friend's baby. That's not going to be achievable. And that's also not healthy for a preterm child. So in a preterm infants, the evidence in terms of too fast catch-up and syndrome X is extremely strong. So I first of all have a discussion of what you're expecting and maybe that what you want to do, have them shift over and have these little fat rolls is not actually in a viable, achievable goal. And the second aspect is that's also not what you want to have. I get very concerned if I have a preterm child that moves too fast up on the centile lines. So that's the first thing. The second aspect, Katie, you know, I don't know how long you've been working in the nutrition field, but I started off beginning of the 90s. And when all of these WHO guidelines, those guidelines and those guidelines, you basically looked at the child and said, this child is ready. You know, we'll start with solids. Yeah. And another child is not ready. So the evidence that we've got really is, as you know, you think about preterm children saying, okay, they were born preterm. We think about the gastrointestinal tract. We think about the physiology. And we know at a certain age, the physiology, as they were born preterm, would be ready to receive foods. But what's happening with the physiology, what's happening with the mouth might not correlate. So the way I work it, and I optimize whether that's breastfeeding, where to fortify breast milk, or whether that is, you know, formula feeding, I make sure iron, vitamins go in optimally. And then I calm down the parents saying, look, forcing a child now, a preterm child 
that's not ready to feed is not going to be the right uh, way forward. It might be that we agree, let's say from six months, corrected age, that the child could take some lip swipes, you know, and they enjoy that. But because the percentage of feeding difficulties, as you know, is so much higher in preterm infants because of invasive medical procedures, whether that's oxygen, nasal prongs, they are sensory so much aware. We have to be really careful in forcing these preterm infants to have food because calorie-wise, protein-wise, I can get much more, let me tell you, from my breast milk and from my you know, formula milks with the right addition to your protein energy ratios. Could you speak a little bit about how starting solids too early has the potential to displace the important nutrition from breast milk or formula? On top of the fact that physiologically babies aren't ready to eat anything except that. Not only is it dangerous, but nutritionally, what's this doing to babies if we start too early? Yeah, I see that now quite a lot. And um, it worries me if somebody says to catch up growth, you need to start solids. So there are a couple of things. You've already highlighted the oral motor skills. That goes without saying head control, all of that, which actually means that it can be dangerous. But I think there are two aspects from a nutritional perspective that worry me. The first one, if I just use numbers. So breast milk has got around 70 kilocalories, if you say for the, the rich hind milk. And your formulas, unless you took a, take an energy-dense formula, it's very similar. But when you start with complementary foods, you start with vegetables, fruit, you know, your porridges and those, they are inherently not very energy-dense. But babies' stomach capacity are low. So therefore, what you're doing is, even if you say, I'm just going to give a small amount, number one, you're giving a small amount for what benefit? For 10, 15 kilocalories and three to four teaspoons, if I could have had you know, an ounce more in terms of formula or in terms of breast milk. So calorie protein-wise, I would get much more. So that's a wrong argument to say, okay, I'm going to use solids now for ketchup. The next argument, so let's say your pediatrician actually f- or forces you, I want to say, f- says actually you need to start with the energy-dense foods in a non-allergic child that might be yogurts, cheeses, you know, anything that has got fats, protein, and calories. Then my second concern is that breast milk is the ideal source of nutrition. So when we measure what you want to give, you say breast milk has got 6% of energy as protein. The evidence that we've got at the moment is if you force a child to give too high a protein too early on, it actually starts a cascade of metabolic responses within the child that increases the risk of obesity in later life. So although you might not see your child at that stage, you know, growing really fast, it actually sets a metabolic cascade up. So high protein diets, and I think per se, I want to just say very, very high protein diets very early on, it's really not recommended for babies. On top of the fact that it's an asinine recommendation because babies can't actually even physiologically eat those foods safely before they are actually ready. Like I said, you know, from an oral motor, you know, from all of those kind of things, you know, there are two other, from a just purely dietetic, you know, you're displacing food. And even if you were then saying, okay, I'm using energy dense, then what are you giving therefore? You know, if they were supposed to have breast milk, what is the consequence of the type of pressure you're putting physiologically on the child? So Roseanne, what do you recommend to parents who are getting this pressure? Let's just make up a case study. Baby's born, maybe three to four weeks premature, has always been 10th to 15th percentile weight for length, weight for age. And the 
pediatrician says to the mom's face, oh, four-month appointment, you should start solid food so your baby can catch up weight. What language should parents use to give the correct response that's not being disrespectful, but to protect their child? I'm a firm believer, Katie, and I think most, many healthcare professionals now is in the triangular medical service. That means healthcare professional does not talk down to a parent, but that there is a shared decision-making and part of the triangle. So you've got the healthcare professional, you've got parents, and you've got the internet. I did not think the third one you were going to say was the internet. I'm sorry. I love it. Honestly, uh, because that means we now, and, and I think it's wonderful, we now have parents that come informed to a consultation. So I always say to parents, I think that with this healthcare model, you want to be able to say, look, I want you to explain, because a healthcare professional that understands the physiology of catch-up should be able to explain. So the explanation should be, what do you want me to catch up? Because how much have I dropped? Where do you actually want me to catch up to? Because that's where the length is. We're taking this hypothetical case. This is where the head circumference. Are you expecting something that is not physiologically right? And my child is only four months, still hasn't got head control, shows no interest in food. And I know that if we are now doing this, there is a risk of feeding difficulties. What are the long-term consequences? So I would really say to the healthcare professional, explain to me why. And I think the why is an important. So therefore, the healthcare professional has to, in their head, saying, okay, this parent actually understands and really I need to understand why. Second thing is, if there was a reasonable a reason why to, you need to say, where do you want me to catch up? Then the third thing is, is my child actually safe to have it? And the last thing is, because, you know, Katie, I have been in situations and there are clinical situations where I want to say to you, I've got children that are from a gastrointestinal perspective, so severely unwell that we don't tolerate any feeds. For example, the only way we can do is hypoallergenic weaning, you know, to kind of get some nutrients in. But in those cases, I always say to parents, ask, when are you going to see me again? Yeah, You cannot make a recommendation without saying, I am going to monitor you and see that you're okay. So once you're reassured that that is in fact for your child, the right decision, and it often is not, but you know, let's say you've been reassured it's for your child, then you want to know when am I going to be seen again to monitor that this is still for my child, the right decision. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Rosanne, I would love to do like a whole separate interview on growth charts because I think they're really confusing, but also very fascinating and can be a wonderful aid if they're used properly and they can be horribly anxiety inducing if they're used incorrectly. Absolutely. But I want to ask real quick because parents don't always understand the concept of percentile. We live in this like hyper competitive environment where parents will think, oh, my baby's only at the 15th or 20th percentile, implying that the gold standard is 100. And I'm like, no, if your baby's always tracked at that and you're staying on that, that's an indicator that you guys are doing a great job and parents feel like that the goal is 100. So could you just break down how the centile actually works on a growth chart? Absolutely. So the US also, like for us in the UK, 
for your young children, you've switched over to using your WHO, although you've got the still same percentile. So I first want to say it's a growth reference. Okay, so they are breastfed children. And secondly, and I think that's also very important because you also have a very, very big multicultural society. I always say to people, I have my families from India, from Pakistan who say to me, but you can't use your UK growth charts. And I'm sure the same because, you know, my child is here on the 15th centile. And if I used an Indian growth chart, no, actually, no, it is the current growth chart for our children from the WHO that have, have been used by the US have got a population that represents developed, developing countries, Asian, African, you know, all of those populations. So if we are looking at the growth chart, your 50th centile, and I have to bring in a bit of statistics here. So that means if you've got a nice little bell curve, so that means the middle of it means 50% of your population grows along that. If you go, your bell kind of curve comes to the left and it comes to the right. So you can say, say okay, 25% grow at, at the lower center below the 50th and 25 go above the 25th center. And then you're going to where you go to 100 on the one side and to zero on the other side. And that means that a very small percentage in the population grow at that center. That does not mean exactly like you said, that your aim is to be on the 50th or be on the 100% centile. The aim is to be where genetically, where nutritionally, you started off your journey, where you're moving up to. Whether that's on the 50th centile, but my child has always gone on the 50th centile, or the growth chart is saying that within a big population, it would be only X percentage, a lower percentage grow on that percentile. And that's all the growth centile. A growth centile is not there to tell you off. A growth centile is just there to say for your individual child, where are you? And I'm going to follow you there. And you've made a very important point that for a preterm child, they might be on the 10th center, but they're growing beautifully on the 10th center. That's fine. I know I have so many sessions where I hand out tissues because the growth chart has caused so much pressure. And yes, I'd love to do a separate session because the growth charts, they are wonderfully fascinating, but I find if they are used negatively to actually show, and I'll come back to the terminology of failure, you know, failing to thrive, where that's really not what a growth chart is not showing any failure. It just shows if there's faltering. Oh, I love that. I think you've given a lot of parents a lot of yeah. sense of calm and peace that it's this is nothing that you're doing wrong. Absolutely. It's that you may be going in the wrong direction, but it's not the end point. And going in the wrong direction sometimes just means I'm holding your hand. We're just going to monitor you and we don't need to interact now. I'm just looking. I'm just monitoring. And that's such an important message for parents to say that for me, a growth chart is I'm holding your hand. I'm there for you. And that's the way, when do I need help? And that's all that it is, is there for. After college, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Nepal. So I lived in a rural community for two and a half years and I worked in maternal and child health. And the growth chart was maybe the one piece of paper or documentation in addition to a birth certificate that the family would have. And one thing I loved was the terminology that we learned to use in the local language was to describe it as the path to health and just explaining that this is the path that you are on. And right now, maybe we went off the path, but we can do this and that and the other thing to get back on the path. That's and that always said. stayed with me. You know, and sometimes, and I, I want to also say during this lockdown period, food insecurity has grown hugely. And I know whilst that might necessarily not affect, you know, breastfed infant that's just starting with solids, 
certainly want to say that this pathway for us as healthcare professionals is an important pathway also to make sure that the family is safe and that you get the help. Because sometimes I certainly am finding that with food insecurity questions, a lot of time I see it first in a growth chart where I can say, are you okay? And I want to say that again to parents, it's this path, if I may use your term, you might have just kind of dropped a little bit from the path, but we're here to help, whether that is with supporting you with the right advice, but it might just be also a monitoring you. Well, Rosanne, thank you so much for all of your insightful guidance for parents and I think reassuring words, and then also bringing your expertise into a realm, which I think sometimes a lot of times parents don't realize, oh, maybe my doctor doesn't know everything about this. So I loved your mention of the triangulation. And I really appreciate that you mentioned the internet as a valuable resource for parents. I mean, parents say, I learned about how to feed my babies from your podcast or your Instagram. We're not supplanting your primary care practitioner. We're just augmenting the information that's out there. So tell our audience, please, where can we go to learn more about the work that you do? That's very kind of you. I want to just say any healthcare professional that tells you they know everything is not a healthcare professional because health data changes every year. And I can never stay up to date. And I appreciate if parents saying, Roseanne, I've read this. So I, of course, I can't tell myself as a know-it-all, but I have my own website. I run under step-by-step kids nutrition. I also have uh, Instagram accounts. If you look at Roseanne Pediatric Dietitian, you'll find me there. I am very much about using food. For me, food is the most wonderful (laughs) nutrient you can get. And I want to always produce recipes and produce ideas that parents can at home adjust for their families. As I said, I primarily work in clinical nutrition, so gastro and and allergy. So I do a lot of free from foods, but it's about seeing what you've got at home and how you can make something that's really nutritious for your uh, baby. And can I ask if it would be possible to share the video on how to do the measurement at home that you mentioned? Is that completed? You can find that already. I will send it to you. You can already find that. The only thing I want to say to you is I do the measurements, but I also give the advice on how to plot. So the plotting, I just want to say for all of your listeners in the US, the plotting is on UK growth charts. So measurement all is very sane based on WHO methods, but the plotting, if it looks slightly different to what you've got, that's the only deviation from what you've got. But I want to end up in saying it's not just the pediatrician the dietitian's role to plot. I know somehow people kind of think, I can't touch this chart. I always say to parents, you can. You can touch it. You can look at it because that way we find mistakes. Well, thank you so much. This has been a fabulous conversation. I really appreciate your time. Big pleasure. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Roseanne Meyer. I literally, I kept talking to her like well after the podcast interview went on. I could talk to her forever. I think she's fascinating. Such an incredible way of explaining like stuff I don't know if you guys think it's boring. Like I think growth chart stuff is amazing. I'm gonna do a whole separate episode on growth chart stuff, but she has such a great way of explaining what can otherwise be sometimes kind of dry topics in a really relatable manner. So that was her take on catch-up weight. We'll definitely have to have her back to talk more about growth charts. And then she has a specialty in gut health and gut nutrition. So there's a couple of intestinal related things she wants to come back on and speak about, which will be wonderful. So I do wanna link to everything Roseanne Meyer talked about in today's episode in the show notes for this episode. So if you go to blwpodcast.com forward slash 110, I'm also going to get a link to the video that she was mentioning inside of the interview that was talking about how you can do measurements at home of your baby's height and weight. And I'll be sharing that on the show notes also. So again, blwpodcast.com forward slash 110. 
for all of the info from this interview about catch-up weight, why starting solids early will not help your baby gain weight with Rosan Meyer. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night.